We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. Everyone, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is a perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll be able to get your show pushed on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com backslash join. Check out the description box for the episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. What up, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale, back for another week. It is great to be back in the start of the week, back to our normal schedule. We appreciate all you guys for hanging in there the past couple of weeks. If you haven't checked out our last episode, do so. It was a good conversation to start, a much-needed conversation. Then, of course, we had 
an amazing hip-hop topic to kick off the last episode. So if you guys haven't heard that, make sure you guys go back and listen to that. But right now, you're listening to this episode, and it is MMA and boxing related. So we're going to recap this past weekend's UFC card and the boxing cards that went down, including Adrian Broner and Oscar Valdez. And then, of course, we have to talk about the cards coming up next week. The UFC has another card at the apex and canelo is fighting for what seems like the second time in a matter of weeks but it's really been a couple of months in between so we got to preview the canelo fight later on as well dre starting off this show i felt like coming in here and i feel like our timelines on twitter pretty much started i'd give it before even saturday night but I held off, and I'm glad I did because it became more relevant, and I wanted to come on this show and be blackity, blackity, black, black, black to start off this show, and it's Black History Month, but I feel like some some people aren't in the spirit to start off Black History Month. It started with us both watching last week, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Where are we going with this? Because I know there's something we got to talk about. Oh, you know we get into that. So I, I want to get this out of the way. Wait, I'm trying to go in chronological order. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to Saturday in a second, like I said before. But Judas and the Black Messiah came out. And we both watched the movie. I thought it was cool. Thought it was a good film. The acting's phenomenal. But... A lot of people, again, had stupid nitpicky problems with this film. Much like the One Night in Miami film, um, which was, listen, some stuff is warranted. But I feel like we're getting in a pattern of nitpicking black historical films. I mean, we, black people just nitpick black things. It's just kind of... It's kind of the way we roll, right? So it's like, um, One Night in Miami, I can understand. The uh, portrayal of Sam Cooke is something that is hard to ignore, especially because they got the timeline wrong when he released Change Gonna Come, which resulted in a character that was a little bit more aloof than the real Sam Cooke. Understandable. If that's something you're going to pick about and it made it break, broke the film for you, totally understand that. This, on the other hand, with Judas and the Black Messiah, the complaints about... Why is this movie about um, the Judas and not the Messiah? Where's more Fred Hampton? And all this other shit is baffling to me because um, the movie is fucking called Judas and the Black Messiah. It's not called the Fred Hampton biopic. It's called Judas, which is William O'Neill, and the Black Messiah, which is Fred Hampton. And then people say, well, you know, I wanted more Fred Hampton. Well, he died at 21. And this was pretty much a year into his time at, as in the Black Panther Party. And Wild Bill O'Neill was 17 when he got uh, pulled over by those cops and was turned into a snitch and an infiltrator. <laughs> and the movie was about two different individuals and how... It pretty much was the beginning of the end for the Black Panther Party, even though there's so much more. Huey Newton, um, 
in the Bay, uh, Bobby Seale ending up in Chicago, Elgish Cleaver going where he went, becoming a, a Reagan lover. There's, there's a lot of shit that went to the demise of the Black Panthers, but this is one of the more significant points. And I don't understand what people want because I think I've mentioned this before. As a kid growing up, when I was, I believe in sixth grade, was when I became infatuated with the Black Panthers and like picked up everything. And I couldn't find anything on Fred Hampton. No books just on Fred Hampton. I wondered why. And as I got older, I realized because he was 21. There's not a lot of story to tell. Malcolm X, when he was 21, he was in fucking jail. And he didn't become Malcolm X until he was 27 when he got out of jail and went to the nation. So he had and he died at 39, which means there was 12 years of life there with a story to tell. Whereas with Fred, he was 21. He could barely get a drink of beer legally, and he was murdered, assassinated by the police. It's not a lot of story there. But people wanted a story that didn't exist, which tells me two things. One, you didn't know who the fuck Fred Hampton was before you came and watched this movie, which is okay. But before you start criticizing a movie, first of all, understand what the movie was about. Judas and the Black Messiah. And understand there wasn't a whole lot of source material there. So for me, the movie was fantastic. I thought the Keith Stanfield was excellent. I mean, I think every, everybody in the film was excellent. I, I've watched the movie twice. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because if nothing else, it makes you go, well, who the fuck is Fred Hampton? And if you know nothing about the Black Panthers, you go, I want to know about the Black Panthers. This was not the, the Malcolm X of Black Panther films. This was not the, the Alpha and the Omega. This was a, something that opens you up to the Black Panther Party. I saw some people say, man, I want this to be a socialist film about Fred Hampton being a socialist and a communist. And I'm like, dog, this is Hollywood, man. <laughs> it's Hollywood is like America is capitalist in yeah. general. And to make a full ass communist socialist movie is not going to happen. It's just no. not. Furthermore, Hampton does discuss socialism quite often in the in the movie. The Rainbow Coalition gets a spot. Like they, yep. they put a lot into this movie. And on top of that, Fred Hampton Jr. and his mother were both consultants on the film. So anything that they wanted to see in the film, they were there to say yay or nay. So who the fuck are you to sit there and say, this didn't happen? Shut the fuck up. Just watch the movie. <laughs> that, that, that shit... That shit is beyond me because there are so many bad Tyler Perry films and shit like that that we don't do half of the criticism we do over something like this. And that that blows my mind. See, that's that's my point in like starting with this is that is the bar too high? Is the bar. Listen, we we want to see our stories told right. So that's not what I'm saying. But is the bar at an unattainable standard? Malcolm X is it Malcolm X of course is above the bar. You put the bar where the fuck you want. Denzel's Malcolm X is is going over it, right? But cause in spite of this thing, it was amazing. Everything can't be that. No. And dude, and if I, I highly employ a lot of you to go out and find there's a book on the making of Malcolm X, and it talks about how Spike Lee struggled mightily getting this film financed, where he ended up having to come out of his own pocket to get the film made, because Hollywood just wasn't going to do it. He had to do it himself. And if you understand, like, it's Hollywood, man. Like, we don't run Hollywood. 
we still have producers to answer to. We don't really own these studios, except for somebody like Spike and Tyler Perry, which is fucking nuts. But that's a whole other story yeah. in itself. <laughs> but it's really hard to get films made. Like, there's so many hands that are involved in getting a film made that it's never gonna be um, exactly what you want because somebody's always gonna be pissed off that something was gonna be left out or something wasn't right. And it's Hollywood. It needs to be entertaining. Nobody wants to watch just unless it's a documentary. Nobody just wants to watch a a movie that just goes by what you want to tell a certain story. It has to be entertaining to a degree because it ain't just a movie for black people. It's a movie for people to get interested in who Freddie Hampton was, but it needs to tell a story in an entertaining way. There is nothing worse, especially for me, a lover of documentaries and shit. There's nothing worse than a boring documentary. Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Like there is nothing. You can have the best information in there. That's why, I, like, I was a big fan of Michael Moore documentaries because they're entertaining. Movies need to be entertaining. They, the cinematography needs to be excellent. The dialogue needs to be fantastic. If you have set pieces, those need to be great. It's look, man. Some people just don't know good cinema, and some people just like to bitch and complain about certain things. So, I mean, pick your poison. You're never yeah. gonna make everybody happy. And. Today, actually, I woke up because I found out that it was the anniversary of Malcolm X's assassination. Um, so I ended up going down like a YouTube rabbit hole of Malcolm X videos. CNN actually has a really good like hour long special. Um, Cornell West is like the main narrator on. It. So, of course, it's like super good. So I ended up watching that earlier today as well. And it's like these documentaries like they have the ability to be a little more dry right like you you can play the actual clips you don't need to go too in depth in everyone's side story and it was on you know obviously death of malcolm x and everything but they didn't flush out the secondary characters or go overly involved in you know the fbi and the government and everything else they focused on malcolm x the person now, when, like you said, when you're doing a movie, you need these secondary characters. There's a reason why Best Supporting Actor and Actress are awards. Those characters are important. So when you see something like Judas and a Black Messiah, like I like the angles and the depth of other characters. And I'm one of the people who didn't know a ton about Fred Hampton. Like I knew of him mostly through hip hop, right? Like, um, big lupe fan and all like people mention these things and i have to go and i have to research them but that's still surface level so i liked even in an entertaining way getting to know secondary characters around the situation there with fred hampton i knew more about huey newton than fred hampton black panther was um so i like these stories it keeps my interest it piques my interest and it then it's on me to go and find more yeah I mean, and that's what it should be. But people seem like, yo, if you don't put it in the movie, that's it. You failed. And it's not on then people to go search out their own thing. They kind of want everything given to them. And man, listen, I remember being a kid when Malcolm X came out and it came in that big ass double VHS tape. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Like, it's long and the, people have short attention spans. So Judas and the Black Messiah couldn't be like a four hour epic, right? It, it was a tight, like, 100. It was it two hours? I think it was about two hours. It was a tight movie that told a story that was very effective because you, you know, some people's like I didn't like them sympathizing with, um, 
uh, William O'Neill. That didn't happen. Uh, look, look, no. Keith Stansfield humanized a snitch because, more importantly, like a lot of people, I saw people saying things like, "It's always black people ruining black people." No, man, it's the fucking government. It's the feds. Listen, man, they took advantage of a 17-year-old kid who got caught t- stealing a car and was going to go two to five. And they said, you know what? We'll put some money in your pocket if you turn on the Black Panther Party. Now, most of you will say, just like, most of you say, I'd never do that shit. Just like people that, like watch shit with slave movies, like, I wouldn't have picked no cotton. Massa couldn't done shit to me. Let yeah. that whip crack it back one good time. And we'll see if your ass is picking cotton. Don't ever judge somebody on their position. Now, look, I'm not saying William O'Neill deserves a pass because that's ridiculous. But what I am saying is you need to understand that it's just not black people destroying black people. This was a conflicted man. And if you watch Eyes on the Prize, which I posted on Facebook and Twitter afterwards, you see a man who's completely delusional. William O'Neill sits there and thinks that he did something good because he stayed in the Panthers for another 10 years. He never got that gas station either. But he stayed in the Panthers (laughs) for another 10 years. Infiltrated. They had 6,000 informants in the Black Panther Party across the states. 6,000. Thousand. You didn't, like, they were paranoid. Huey Newton became a heroin addict because he was paranoid. Paranoid. He had Bobby Seal sodomized because he was paranoid because he didn't know who to trust anymore because of the government. This is not just black people destroying black people from the inside. Situations are created. They put like they put pressure on black people because then you have to make a decision for your people or your family. And it's tough. So when people's like, ah, it's too much on William O'Neill. Nah, man. These stories gotta be tell told because as you can see at a certain point in the film, for those who haven't seen it, I'm sorry. But yo, that's another thing. I'm sorry, I'm about to go way off. Cause David <laughs> Dennis, my man David Dennis posted the most hilarious tweet that white people were pissed off because he ruined the movie and said Fred Hampton got killed. it it shows you exactly what you need to know about people like i said they want everything from the movie and only from the movie whether it's based on a true story whether it's historical whatever yo people don't read anymore i'm convinced you can tell who reads and who doesn't read and there's a drastic difference if 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 when titanic came out and a motherfucker told me that the (laughs) ship sunk and i was like yo i can't believe you spoiled that from it's a it's a true story stop (laughs) cut it out man but listen man what you have to understand is when you see movies like this there are two sides to a story and it did a very good job of telling that to the point where william o'neill was conflicted in the film and you can tell this man was completely... No, he committed suicide, depending on how you want to believe what happened afterwards. He ran out in traffic after he did the Eyes on the Prize interview, got hit by a car, and fucking died. That, was, that man was tormented. And yes, I, again, I'm not, I'm not telling you to say I, uh, I sympathize with him, because that's not the point. The point is, is that he is a human being. Like, my favorite thing about a lot of films in general, in, like, stories, like, even... I always like to know what creates a certain person, like a serial killer. I'm very intrigued by what was the tipping point because they usually don't come out and just become serial killers. It's usually something that happens that triggers something. I mean, even Hitler didn't just become Hitler. There's always there's reasons why people are the way they are. And I'm not saying that excuses their actions, but it gives you a better understanding of how your actions and how the community that you create and the people that you're around and, you know, if you're a bully or whatever you are, you could be creating the next school shooter or serial killer because this always triggers. 
There's always triggers. And even like parents, us as parents, we don't know it because every kid has a fucked up childhood. It's just the way it is. They all say that the childhood is fucked up. But you never know what those situations are that, that has a kid go left. And I, I, I'm interested in those stories because people are humans. They're hor- there's horrible people out here, but they all got a story to tell. And I thought this movie was great telling the story. That's it. And look, if you haven't seen it, I'm telling you to go watch this damn movie. Get yourself some HBO Max to watch this movie. Don't you put on a goddamn Tyler Perry movie. Don't put on some whatever that shit is with Nylong and Omar Epps on Netflix. Turn that shit <laughs> off. Watch Judas and the Black Messiah. Do yourself a favor. And then pick up a book. <laughs> that's, that's key. So this is why I wanted to go in chronological order as series events played out this weekend. Because we just talked about the wealth of of stories there are to tell in the black community, right? We took one example, Judas and the Black Messiah, and showed how you can have a main character, but there's so many auxiliary characters involved, and there's so much depth to black stories, and so many stories people don't know, and so much still to learn. Then on Saturday night, it's Black History Month, the UFC comes out, And they have their chance in their small little community, their small little space, their niche sport to tell and educate people who may not read, not search out this content on the stories of any one of their black fighters for Black History Month. Because as we all know, black history should be all history. But that's not the case yet. So you ha- they had the opportunity to tell the story of a black fighter. Pick one. I think currently in the next... Well, there was a point going back like two weeks ago. The next six weeks, they had eight black fighters either in the main event or co-main event of cards over six weeks. Some during Black History Month, some right after, bleeding into March. Pick one of the black fighters and you could have told their story. All interesting stories. You and I know a lot of them. And on Saturday night, they did a promo package for Black History Month of Michael Chandler adopting his son, who is black. And this is, on my end, this is nothing against Michael Chandler. Crack that claw. This is nothing against Michael Chandler. But that is not a Black History Month story. All right. I'm sure you've seen my timeline now. Look, man. Whenever I I see... (laughs) I commented. They're my mentions now. Uh, They've bled over. Dude, whenever I talk about the UFC, there's a certain group of people that come out. They're mostly white. They mostly have, like, avatars with, like, dogs with sunglasses or shirtless white men and shit. And they just start saying, like, the most racist random shit. Okay, so this is how it went down. Now, for those of you who know, me and Biggie are really good friends. And I'll, at the end of the show, I'll tell you about the Kickstarter that we're launching. But by the time you listen to this, we are launching a cartoon. But this whole another story. But we're in the middle of doing some editing to our Kickstarter page. And as the fights are going on, you know, we both love boxing and MMA. And uh, he really loves MMA. Now, I'm trying to focus because there's goddamn three fights going on. There's, there's the Showtime card. 
there's the ESPN card, and there's UFC. And I, I don't know, I think the Robert Easter fight was on. So I was, I was trying to watch the Robert Easter fight. And I turn and I look at my other screen, and I see, and I like I have the volume like very low, and I see Michael Chandler. And I'm like, oh, Michael Chandler's got a fight. No, he doesn't. So I turn it up, and I see but Michael Chandler talking about adopting a black kid. Now, it hasn't dawned on me yet what's going on. I'm like, oh, Michael Chandler has a parlor account. He's MAGA. But, I mean, you know, black kids need homes, too. So, I'm, I'm just watching. Biggie texts me. And he's like, uh, are you watching this shit? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, hmm, this is interesting. And at the end, it's, when he says that, I turn it up. And at the end, I can't remember who might have been Bisping, whoever was on commentary. Like, oh, what a great Black History Month story. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and he, he hits me and he's like, I think they just positioned Michael Chandler adopting a black kid as black history. So then I, I ran it back. So I paused the Easter fight on my other screen and the ESPN fight because I still think y'all, you guys were on the undercards. And I, I went back and I ran this shit back and I watched it again. And it's, yes, Michael Chandler and his wife adopting a black kid. And it, the package starts with a Black History Month logo. I didn't see that because I was watching the Easter fight. And I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. And this whole package is about two minutes, 30 seconds plays out. And then it ends and they were like celebrating Black History. And we're glad to have Michael Chandler. Motherfucker. Michael Chandler. Listen, man. So I tweeted about this, and while I'm tweeting about it, I'm I'm getting livid because that's not Black History. There's nothing Black History about this. This is what in the fucking Freedom Riders Blindside Goddamn the Help type of ass Black History content is this? Now look, before this, they ran a, the package on now. I, just, I, like, I watch it on Fight Pass. I don't watch the cards on ESPN. I watch it on Fight Pass. And on Fight Pass, they have a different set of commercials. So I never know what you guys see versus what I'm seeing. But mm. Biggie hits me and he's like, yo, the, the Kamaru Usman thing, have you watched it yet? And I'm like, no, I haven't watched it yet. And he's like, I think it's really interesting that they focused on his dad being incarcerated. And I was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> like, I know his dad's been locked up, right? Because he couldn't see his fight when he was a champion. I, I interviewed him about this. But I'm like, they made a whole little docuseries about his dad and not him being a dad because, you know, the overarching story in black households that may or may not be true and for the most part isn't true is dads aren't in their kids' lives. And Kamaru Usman is a father who was in his kids' lives, but the UFC is going to focus on telling the story about his dad being incarcerated? And to follow that with a Michael Chandler package is absurd. So I posted this tweet. And my mentions have been on fire, and they're and it's Sunday night, and they're still on fire because people are like, "Are you? How are you mad at Michael Chandler?" No, I'm not. I, I, listen, I don't give a fuck about Michael Chandler adopting a black kid. Listen, the whole MAGA parlor thing might fuck this little black kid's world up. I don't know, but that's neither here nor there. The fact that he adopted a kid, I'm going to commend him for that. But to pilot the white savior narrative on Black History Month. And to try to tell me to accept Michael Chandler as black history. No, you didn't talk about Serena Williams or Naomi Osaka or LeBron James. Didn't expect you to do that. But you have a whole fucking roster of black fighters, male and female. Now, somebody was like, yo, we, they just talked about Angela Hill. 
Yeah, but it was really brief. I watched it. It wasn't shit. But you had Derek Lewis, who was literally saving people. <laughs> Two black men main eventing that car. Right. Like, he's in the main event against Curtis Blades. And he's this man was a hero. As much as he talks about his hot balls and shit, the motherfucker was saving people. That, saved a man with a Confederate flag. Yeah, that had a Confederate flag and said, I'm still going to save you. Listen, that's just one. Tyron Woodley, who's been on this podcast before, who I know, was on the front lines in Ferguson, Missouri, when Mike Brown got killed. Black Lives Matter. You could have told that story. You could have told the story of Aljamain Sterling. You could have told the story of Daniel Cormier. You could have told the story of... Oh, Kevin Randleman. You could have told the story of Gary Goodrich. You could have told the story of Art Jimerson. You could have told the story of so many black people who have competed in your organization. Yet and still, you choose to tell a story about a white man adopting a black kid. Look, use that package for when Michael Chandler fights. I don't have a problem. And they did. I saw it weeks ago when he did fight. So I was very confused why they ran it back. As a black history month plaque, where's the history here? No, that's that's my biggest point. And I talked about that on Twitter. It's not a black history story. Let's if you want to say that it's involving a black child, whatever, okay, whatever. Someone maybe opening Michael Chandler's eyes. It's something that is going to happen in the future. It is not history, it's not even present. The package was how he plans on helping his child who is black recognize what it's like being a black man that is how he plans on doing it he hasn't even tried it yet like it's it's not even a struggle for him yet it was about the struggles he anticipates facing as a white man with a black kid listen guys i've said this before i was raised by an italian white woman I was not raised by my father and my mother, who are both black. I was raised. She by was a, she was a saint. <laughs> Shit. But so I understand the challenges of a white person raising a black kid, especially when that black kid finally finds his identity. Because my grandmother didn't want me to be black. She wanted me to be something else. She didn't want. She was. She groaned when I picked up my first Malcolm X book. She was upset when I cheered for the Nation of Domination. She hated that I was in the Kappa leadership of the Martin Luther King Youth Council. She hated all that shit. My grandmother. I know how difficult it is. This is a challenge. Michael Chandler's got an uphill battle. In this country, to raise a black man, especially when you're MAGA, good luck. Because whatever you do, you, that kid's mind's going to be fucked up in some way, shape, or form. Hopefully it's not. But it's really hard to raise a black kid because you have to teach them that they're black. You can't avoid it. There's nothing you can do about it. But that's a whole that's a challenge. And again, I commend Michael Chandler for taking that challenge. But I don't commend the UFC for positioning this shit as black history. Look, man, if Cinco de Mayo rolls around and they have Colby Covington, <laughs> you know, like this is like, and, and he has, you know. Like it's oh man, my man Zeus from Middle Easy was like, "Yo, they're gonna do uh, like Chinese New Year with Stepe Miocic eating Panda Express." This is like the what? equivalent. You might like honestly for this bullshit, you might as well have paraded Mike Perry on there talking about how he's point oh three percent black. It, dude, this is bizarre. And then, so my timeline is disgusting, right? I can't, I can't do shit. Like I can't watch Elimination Chamber can't watch nothing i can't imagine what it's like for people that have like a million followers or like five hundred thousand followers i don't know how you live 
But for me, like I look at my timeline, I was like, oh, I'm gonna look at my mentions. My mentions have been in shambles for for the last 24 hours with people saying, "Yo, you're a racist. You should be happy that somebody uh, uh, adopted a kid who was abandoned by their parents." Wait a second, is, is are you sure that's what happened? <laughs> like, yeah, they're like, "What do you?" Someone today who came from your mentions into my mentions, idiot, told me, "Oh, maybe they should have did a profile on the black parents who abandoned the black child." Yo, this it's for so, Black History Month. I was like, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, is this what you think people ask about? Like, people are just idiots for the sake of being idiots." It's so stupid because you know, not not every kid that's in a foster home or up for adoption means their parents just left them. Parents could have got killed. A lot of shit happens. To just make that suggestion and be like, "Yo, we should be." We should be celebrating Michael Chandler. Not during Black... Listen, man, I got, we got fucking 28 days, dog. Can y'all relax and give us those 28 days? That's all Like a lot of people ask for. I ask for more. But 28 days without your white asses waltzing into our conversation. You'd be like, yeah, you know, Michael Chandler adopted a black kid. Let's talk about it. No, fuck that. Let's not talk about it. Let's wait. You can have... You have 11 fucking months. Enjoy them. Leave us alone. Let us have something. Let us tell our stories. Like, for real, dog. Like, I expect this from the UFC. Never surprised. Always appalled. This is not some shit that I was terribly surprised about, but it's still a disgusting thing to do because it's tone deaf. Why would you run this package? This is the last week of Black History Month coming up. (laughs) Really? It's, It's another good point that we say all the time. We need black people in positions of power, not just places to have black employees. No, man. Listen. Like, we need black decision makers. We need female decision makers. We need just diversity in those positions because somebody would have said, this ain't it. And and listen, for those that don't know, I, I hate it because I know... The black folks that I know at the UFC probably have seen me just d- destroy their company. Lene Breckridge, Brian Smith, yep. Heidi Dean. Those are black people that work in high-ranking positions in the UFC. Black Dave. They're yeah, there. Shout out to Dave. <laughs> they're there. And, and I know it's like, I don't know how they feel about it, right? Like, I'm not the company man. When I worked at BET and people would shit on BET, I was like, yep. I'm not that guy. I've never been that guy. Nothing will ever, no job will ever come before my integrity. Some people will just be like, they'll defend their company like it fucking matters. Like when I see people like defend PBC or the UFC, like who cares, man? They don't give a shit about you like that. So, but I feel bad for them because I, you know, they go to work and they probably have said something, but now they got their entire company getting railroaded by people like me while they're black and they work there. So I know that's got to be hard, but. When you have somebody like Dana White who sits at the top of the food chain, and somebody was like, you know, Dana didn't wasn't responsible for this. Bullshit. Oh, once you're at the top, you're always responsible. It doesn't even matter if your name's not anything that comes out and it is your com- your company or you're the face of that com- company, you are responsible. Look, there's, there That's are, just the case. There are checks and balances. You know, at The Zone, John Skipper, CEO. At the end of the day, between him and Jamie Horowitz, shit had to get signed off on. Some, they have to see it. So it's not like Dana White didn't see the package. And again, this is the guy who put out a package shitting on the media and grabbing his dick because he ran uh, got a bunch of events during a pandemic. 
So you mm-hmm. can't tell me that he didn't know anything about this package. You can't tell me that he didn't look at Black History Month. Like, yeah, okay, good. Go ahead, do what you want. Do what you want for Black History Month. Like he really gave a shit because UFC never issued a statement on Black Lives Matter. So this, you know, he but he knows he's got black fighters, and I've and you know, full disclosure, I've texted a few fighters that I know in the UFC, and they have not responded to me. I was like, yo, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like it was like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? What are you doing? Look, I, I'm not gonna air you out if you hate it i'm not gonna put you out there but i want to know working for an organization like that where you see michael chandler you're black you've got a story to tell they ain't telling your story they're telling michael chandler's story he's the hero nobody knows shit about that kid that's nuts said <laughs> nobody knows shit about that kid <laughs> dead ass they don't know that. they don't know where he, nothing in that story said where he came from where he's been through nothing all we know is michael chandler saved his life and now he's going to raise that boy to be a black man. What about the kid? What about black? Like, you got to, man, listen, that's why I get mad when I watch those fucking movies like The Blind Side. I don't need your white set. Your story, it's not about you. It's not about you. Why can't we have anything? Fuck. <laughs> Yo, that's. It's weird because that was the. The glaring thing that jumps out is that they made a Black History Month piece for their base. Yeah. Make that it feel was, better. there's a black person in this, but the people we're catering to that we care that watch want to see Michael Chandler because it's digestible. It's, well, you know, political shit aside, but it's their core is like, okay, this is a MAGA man who can put that to the side, who still believes America is being made great again, who can have a parlor, put that to the side to embrace someone who is black. How overtly kind is this man that he can believe all of this stuff and still take a black person into his house? You know what this is? This what Ultimately, this is what I've learned, again, raised by... An elderly white woman. Been around a lot of racist, racist white people that looked at me as a good black kid. What this does is make that certain group of white people feel good about their racism. It makes mm. them feel okay with it. They go, ah, you know, we threw him a bone. Right? Like, I look I look on my Facebook. I hate Facebook. Facebook's fucking miserable. The dumbest people live on Facebook. Twitter's bad, but you, you don't know these people. Facebook, you're like, oh, I actually kind of know you. Right, and you see them say things. You're like, "Yo, for real," and people just they they're just willfully ignorant. Like, shout out to Emilio Sparks. Emilio texted me today and was like, "Yo, what the fuck is going on in your timeline?" And I'm like, "Dog, <laughs> I can't." It's just, this is just the way it is. The mass with all shit. The Dana White video about you know the pandemic. Uh, Colby Covington. Every time I tweet about the UFC when it comes to race, yo, these people lose their minds. And, you know, they go, what they do, what they tell me is like, you know, aren't you tired to talk about race? I was like, yo, I'm fucking tired of living about, living in a life where I have to talk about race. You're tired of hearing about it? I got to deal with this shit. I got to deal with your bullshit. You're going to tell me you're tired of hearing me fucking talk about it. That's like telling a woman who's had their, you know, their menstruation, their period, who is cramping and in pain. I'm tired of hearing about your shit. What? Bitch, shut up. That's that's <laughs> that's their struggle. Them women have different issues. You can't you can't tell people how to feel about shit. You're tired of hearing about it? Do something about it. 
You think we're just complaining because we're bored? And then everybody keeps saying, like, yo, I, I looked at my timeline, and people keep saying, y'all just want handouts. No, bitch, we want equality. That's all. I don't want special treatment. We want equality. And Michael Chandler adopting a kid being one of the four stories you told in four weeks during Black History Month, the shortest month of the year, that's not equality. You could tell, like, I can't wait. Are you going to tell Daniel Cormier's story in, like, March? Are you going to, like, <laughs> are you going to, are you going to tell Ke- Kevin Randleman's story in, like, October? Or are you going to tell all the black people's stories in one month and then instead of telling them all, you slip one white dude in there? Get the fuck out of here. Drink this goddamn claw. <laughs> the man is literally on your card. You could just highlight the black beast. I found a piece that they did on Derek Lewis three years ago. You could have just ran that back. About how he's a family man, you know, held together by a strong black woman. He tried quitting and retiring. And she said, no, this is what you do. You have more to give. The man is now damn near waiting for a title shot. Deservant of one. He just beat the number two fighter, heavyweight fighter on the planet. And you couldn't profile this man? Yo. It was just, it, it was such, that's the worst part. It was such a stretch to do the Michael Chandler piece. He wasn't even in the frame of mind. You have so many black fighters about to fight Aljamain Sterling, Izzy, who's born in Africa and then went to New Zealand. His story's fucking nuts. Aljamain Sterling's story. About being a black man. And actually being a young, vibrant black person, not hiding stuff, wearing the dookie ropes, being proud of it in the world of MMA where there's no one like that. There's a million different stories they could have told. Hey, before we start talking about this, listen guys, I'm probably going to get banned from the UFC. It's, it's, this is almost inevitable. Like, when I, the <laughs> next time I put in my credential, they're going to be like, you... Take your black ass home. For real. <laughs> I can't, like, think about it. The past year, the past year, I have had a feud with Jorge Masvidal. I just had a feud with all these MAGA people about this shit. I had to deal with the Dana White bullshit in that video. Colby Covent, like, yo, Mike Perry. I said some shit about Mike Perry. People lost their fucking mind. I, if I can come back to the UFC, I would be surprised. Like, when, <laughs> when this shit opens back up and you see me, like, cage side covering fights. Yeah. I guess, I mean... I don't think they could ban you at this point. Because, again, that's, the other that's people that's they banned too. was like, let's just be, let's keep it a buck. They banned white people that Dana doesn't like. At this point, they'd be like, yo, Dana, we can't ban a black person for just being black. Like, yo. that's overtly racist. No, and, you can't do that. And it won't end well. And, the, you know, the best part about it is, because, listen, look, there's a lot of journalists out here. And I'm not going to disrespect any journalists. You know, they do their thing. But for me... You know, Dana be talking crazy and shit. Dana called Ariel Hawani a douche. Motherfucker, I wish you would. That's the type of journalist I am. Like, listen, I'll write, but you'll never disrespect me at a press conference. I promise you that. I promise you that. Like, you won't tell me sit down. You could try to cut off my mic. Anything that you try to do, listen, my reach, it's not, it's not like I got, like, this massive Twitter following, but I'm in a few different places. I'm not just an MMA journalist. So best believe, try me if you want to, but you're going to hear about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, our listeners, like, 
it's enough people around that, yeah, maybe it would be a bad idea to ban Andreas from a UFC event. So, yeah. I'm not yeah, going to stop. I ain't going to stop. This is what I do. This, this is what I do. And people's like, you always talk about race. I don't want to talk about this shit every day. But it's a part of our life. So, it is what it is. See, more so now than ever. Shit. As soon as, like, Black Lives Matter came, it felt like everyone else, the idiots, just decided to push back. Yeah, man. Yeah, Everything man. has an equal reaction. So, now that shit's crazy. And we had to talk about it, though. You won't be banned. The UFC won't change. <laughs> We're going to preview their card next week, and I will be shocked if they don't have a Black History Month segment featuring a black person. So the fan base can say, see, you got... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Not what you wanted. You just, you were nitpicking. They've been doing different pieces. You didn't wait long enough. Yeah, okay. We'll see. I'd be shocked. Prepare to be shocked. I don't think Dana gives a fuck. I don't know. I'll be watching. I was in the bubble, so I didn't even watch it. My phone just started blowing up. What the fuck is you actually <laughs> doing? I'm like, listen, man, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm on the inside, but I'm not on the inside. So that came as a surprise to me. So um, let's hit the break when we come back. We got to talk about the UFC fights. And then after that, we got to talk about boxing because there was a ton of shit in boxing. So you guys stay right there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
All right, as promised, we are back talking UFC. Not none of the BS that we just talked about, but the actual fights that went on last weekend and are coming on this weekend. So, Trey, hopefully, I think I might be in the building for the pay-per-view coming up. They damn sure ain't banning me. So, I'm hoping to be there for the Izzy fight, which we get to preview next weekend. But... We have some pretty damn good fights this past weekend. And then next weekend, we have at least a good fight in the main event. So going through the card from this past weekend, um, we'll just go through the main card itself. Andre Arlovsky versus Tom Aspinall. Arlovsky won. I, was, I thought he got cut from the <laughs> UFC already. And then I just see highlights of him get mollywopped. Yeah, he's still here. It, the hands and getting choked out. Yeah, he's he's still here. I mean. No, not after this, right? I mean, I, I don't know. It's crazy because Dana said all these people were going to get cut. Didn't happen, did it? Has happened. Not yet. I, I don't know if he's waiting for some people's contracts to just f- fade out. Yeah, You know what? Because the listeners have stuck with us. Instead of talking about this card, we need to go a week earlier to Usman versus Burns. Because that was the only fight that mattered on that pay-per-view. Oh, yeah. I forgot. We didn't even talk about that, huh? Yeah. We need to talk about Kamaru Usman. Okay. So, let's do Usman versus Burns. That's the only fight that matters. That is, it really... <laughs> no, I mean, Macy Barber hype train is a fishy. I picked Alex Grasso. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Cool. So, uh, Usman versus Burns. And Kamaru's a... Different, different level. Because Burns had him hurt in the first round. And people are like, oh, shit. Kamaro, oh, what, what's going on here? And then the second round, the man came out, you would have never known. Never known he was on, on shaky legs in the first round. And he, when he turned it up, and Gilbert Burns, again, looked very good to start the fight. When Kamaro turned it up, there was no answer for him at all. Damn near got it finished in the second and then made short work of it in the third. Listen, man. They're going to learn to stop disrespecting Kamaru Usman, I suppose, because after this performance, yeah, it's it's too early to talk greatest welterweight of all time. That G, GSP's got that. GSP right. still. Yeah, he's got to buy a country mile. And these are the same conversations we had when Tyron Woodley had his run. This was kind of the same conversation we had. Um, this is the equivalent of when Tyron Woodley beat Darren Till, right? Whose run is better so far? Hmm... Woodley had a draw against Wonderboy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, in a fight where he barely got that draw. I'll say Usman. Because Woodley got it with the, this startling, for a lot of people, knockout of Robbie Lawler. A lot of us didn't see that coming. Yeah. Um, but the, the war kind of took it out of Robbie. Yeah, and then, you know, the Damian Maya fight wasn't good. The Wonderboy fights, one was really good and one was not. Um and then he got, you know, kind of just trucked by Usman. So I'm going to I'm going to go with Usman because he's been really dominant. It's not like close. Like he dominated Woodley. He he had a pretty close fight, I guess you could say with Kobe Covington. Then he broke his jaw and knocked him out. Yeah. Then he pretty much ragdolled Masvidal. And then he went out here and did what he did to Gilbert Burns who was on a great winning streak. So I'm going to say Usman. And it's weird because 
Usman's beatable. Like, you watch him fight, and you're like, yeah, he's not, like, he's not. You don't look at him and say, man, I can't figure out how to beat him. But he just kind of outwills you. Because yeah. Gilbert Burns hit him with some good shit. And I was like, oh, you know, might have a new champion. Nope. That second round came. Usman was a completely different warrior. Like he says, I'm a problem. Yeah, he is. I don't know who beats this guy in the welterweight you, division right now. I have no clue. He's going to test your heart. That's the key. Like, he, he he's going to say your will will break before his. So it takes, I don't know who has the mix of don't give a fuck and skill. You know, like, this is some shit where back in the day, like, a Nate Diaz would be, like, really cool. Or, uh, But Nate don't got the skill. Right. Or, excuse me, Nick. Nick don't got the skill. Um, this would have been a great fight for a prime Carlos Condit. Yeah, it's got to be a striker. It has to be. You got to be a striker with a lot of don't give a fuck. Prime Carlos Condit would have been the guy to, like, really test Usman. Ma- Jorge Masvidal is not that guy. No. And it looks man. like he's going to get the shot. That's just going to be another highlight. Because yeah. Usman, people are like, oh, you're just toe stomping. And you made it look ugly. And people said he was scared to fight Masvidal. And that's why he wrestled him. Yeah, okay. Um... Listen, yeah, people are idiots. Let, but you know the fan base, the fan base, and they love Masvidal, BMF, blah blah blah. There was none of that BMF shit when he was in the ring with Usman. I mean, come on, man. Let's let's be real. Look, Masvidal knocked out Ben Askren. Ben Askren is not fighting in the UFC anymore. That's what made Masvidal Masvidal, and he beat Darren yeah. Till. But let's be honest with ourselves. The BMF fight was between two very mediocre fighters, in Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. Masvidal hasn't really beat anybody. So, for us to be having these conversations like, he's a threat. The motherfucker's pretty average. King of the split decision. He's tough. He's not a bad fighter. Masvidal's not a bad fighter. But, Usman has not lost in the UFC. He's beat no. everybody that they put in front of him. And that includes, like, who? Leon Edwards. I gotta find who this one loss is, though. Oh, it was like his third fight. It was like his third MMA fight, second or third. If I'm that guy, I'm just talking mad shit. Yeah, it was probably the same, you know, when, um, who was it, Duffy? We had beat Conor McGregor in there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he was like, this guy would beat Conor. But, listen, Masvidal ain't the dude, man. I mean, he can strike, don't get me wrong, but Usman, look, this is the same thing about GSP, right? When he fought Condit, or when he fought Dan Hardy, or when he fought Tiago Alves, and he put Tiago Alves on his back for five, well, I think it was three rounds back then, UFC 100. He put him on his back. Listen, man, I'm not going to fight your fight. I'm going to fight my fight. It's yeah. your job to beat me at my game. And that's and Usman went out there, and he didn't really need to wrestle against Gilbert Burns. He was just strong. Listen, man, you look at Kamaru's body, that man looks like a freak. To make 170 pounds with that kind of power? And his striking is just getting incrementally better. I don't know who beats him. Wonder Boy is probably the perfect fighter to beat Usman. We just got to see. I think I think we're going to get Wonder Boy versus Kiesa first to figure it out. While Usman and Masvidal end up doing the Ultimate Fighter. Which, like, man, stop doing the fucking Ultimate Fighter. Nobody cares. I mean, it's a nice, easy way to get cheap talent. Yeah, but nobody cares. And Usman came through the Ultimate Fighter. so I know, but nobody cares. Like The, the, the reason why nobody cares is because the formula is so tired and boring. Put a bunch of guys in yeah. the house, and they, you know, they do some shit, and then they have a fight. I don't care about that. I don't care. Yeah, about neither do I necessarily. Um, all right, main event from this past weekend: Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. 
<laughs> this is some shit. So I'm getting ready for Valdez um, versus Burchelt. And it was right after the co-main. Co-main ended in a knockout. So I was like, all right, dope. Like, let me check in on the UFC thing. I had time to go to my seat. And I sat down right at the end of the first. And I was like, God damn, Curtis Blades is about to get Derek Lewis out of here. And then I hear like the entrance music started. I was like, oh shit, I gotta go. So I went to film the entrances and I had to get to the ring and all that stuff. And by the time the entrances finished and I got to my spot ringside for the fight, I looked down and in my Slack channel, it was like, all right, if you need help, let us know. Uh, Derek Lewis just knocked out Curtis Blades. I was like, what? I was just watching the fight. I was like, Derek Lewis looked lost. I think the first round punch stats were 27 significant strikes by Curtis Blades, three for Derek Lewis. Mm-hmm. And then Derek Lewis, I got home and I watched the fight, flattened him with the mean uppercut. And I was like, yo, the whole time Curtis Blades is like, he's not going to catch me with this flying knee. I can take him down. He's not going to catch me with a flying knee. Derek Lewis after the fight was like, yo, I was either going to knee him or catch him with the uppercut. I knew something was going to happen and I was going to knock his ass out. Lo and behold, he knocked him out. Made me think. Maybe Curtis Blades should just stayed standing. He should have. Look, Curtis Blades had great success standing, and his head went to you know default mode. You know how you like change your controller, like when you play Street Fighter and you change the controller, and then you default it, and you're like, oh, it's back to the old shit. That's yeah, what kind of yeah. happened to Curtis Blades. <laughs> like, yeah, he was like he was doing his new shit, and then in the second round, he kind of reset his controller, and then he like pushed the button for takedown, and Derek Lewis was like, hello. This is what I've been waiting for. <laughs> the whole damn time. Like, this is, this is what I've been waiting for. Like, Derek Lewis, what he does, what he's proven to do, like, some people call him lazy. No, he's smart. He waits for you to make a mistake. If you overcommit yep. on something, because he's not, he's not, like, the most tactical fighter. But he's smart enough to know, if I hit you, you're probably going to sleep. That's Alexander Volkov. Won a fight for four minutes and, what, 39 seconds and got slept. Yep. He got slept. Yeah, like, Three seconds left in the fight. There was no time left. It was 24 minutes. 24 minutes and like 56 seconds and got slept. Yeah, so... It, it's very much like Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Derek Lewis and Deontay Wilder are very similar people. Yeah, it's, it's a one-hitter quitter. And if he catches yep. you, you're going to sleep. And Curtis Blaze, like, I'm watching the fight. And after the first round, because I tweeted it, I was like, he's piecing Derek Lewis up. Second round starts, and I see Blaze duck his head down. And I'm like... No, he's not. He's not about oh, to no. go for a takedown. <laughs> You're having so much success striking. Why yep. would you decide to change things up? Because clearly Derek Lewis is only waiting for one thing. And he got it. All he needed was yep. one chance. Put him to sleep. Quick, fast. And my favorite part of the whole thing was Derek Lewis, after punching Curtis Blades twice, after he was clearly out on the ground, got up, walked to the camera. It was like, this Herb Dean's fault. Yeah. That shit was comedy. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, oh, man. So the Black Beast never fails. And honestly, if John Jones wasn't the challenger in waiting, the Black Beast would have the next title shot. Yeah, he'll probably end up getting one more fight, probably against the winner of the fight that we're about to talk about. Um, because the the heavyweight division is just pretty thin. There's really no way. Because we know we got Ngannou and Stipe. And yeah. John Jones is kind of sitting around waiting. Um, someone just won a couple weeks ago that's on like a crazy streak though at heavyweight I would have to find it 
um, Volkov. Oh yeah, Alexander Volkov. Uh, the running back with Volkov. They could do that, but because Volkov technically beat him for like twenty four minutes. Yeah, I mean they could do that. They, between Rosenstruck and Gagne, who were fighting this weekend, Alexander Volkov in the rematch with Derek Lewis. Like, there's options. Derek Lewis is not getting a media title shot, but look, man, he's entertaining. And this fucking company just did, decided not to do a Black History Month package around him. I'm just baffled. I'm baffled. Wild. Money on the mic. Everything you could want right there in the package. And just completely dropped the ball on that shit. Um, you're talking about the upcoming card, though. You mentioned it. Rosenstruck versus Gagne. Just trying to go through here. That's the only one we'll predict, probably. So, um, unless we, it looks like Caceres was moved to this card. Uh, did they move Angie Hill to this card or next week's card? Angie Hill's on this card. So Angie Hill versus Ashley Yoder. Okay. That's a good fight. Uh, I'm taking Angie every time. Yeah. So I don't really care. Um, Pedro Munoz, Munoz versus Jimmy Rivera. That's a great fight, but I think Pedro Munoz. Amazing fight. What the fuck happened to Jimmy Rivera? Hey, he was on such a run for a second. That's that's MMA for you. Like, you start losing, like you lose a fight or two, it just doesn't stop. No. Did he lose to Aljo? Is that what started his, I believe his so. downfall? Yeah, he hasn't been the yeah, same since. I think Aljo fucked him up. He hasn't been the same since. Um, so, I don't know. I'll take Munoz in that fight. Yeah. I think Jimmy Rivera is just going the wrong way. Yeah, I'm ta- I mean, I'm taking Munoz as well. But it's a great fight. It's a great fight on paper. Yeah, Montana De La Rosa versus Myra Bueno Silva. Um, I don't know Bueno Silva. Uh, De La Rosa is like a 50-50 fighter if this was wrestling. She she got fifty fifty booking. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of a it's kind of a toss up fight. Yeah, give me Montana De La Rosa because I've seen her fight. <laughs> like what what else can I say? Like I've seen her fight. It's fifty fifty booking. This might just be her night. Uh, well, so uh, what is it? What is it? I'm trying to think. What her last fight she won? She beat Barella, I believe. Yeah, no, I'm gonna take. Mm, shit. Yeah, I'm gonna take uh, Silva. She's only lost one fight, so yeah, she did beat Barella in her last okay, fight. That was right. Yeah. Yep, in September, and then before then, um, Marina Moros okay. in Brazil. Yeah, <coughs> in Brazil. So that's fair. Delarosa fifty fifty booking. I'm rolling with her on the upset. Komain, um Krylov versus Ankalev Magomed. Um, give me Magomed. Oh yeah, I'm taking Magomed by look, by swift murder. Look, Krylov got this fight by beating Jimmy uh, Jimmy Walker, Johnny Walker. I'm sorry, Johnny Walker. Yeah, yeah, by decision, and that's what put him in this position. But yeah, it's going night night. Yeah, Magomed. Let's see. That's one decision. He has one decision in the UFC. Yeah, no, he just he nukes people. The Kudalaba yep, fights. Um, we're like he nuked them. Twice. Lost to Paul Craig, but that was on some last-minute submission shit. Yeah. Other than that, the guy's got heavy hands, so it still should be a good fight, but no. Yeah, nah, but like you said, he just sleeps everybody, which is wild. So I'm down with that. It's going to be entertaining, and that's all we can really look for. And light heavyweight, again, is it's such an interesting division. If, depending on what happens here shortly, too. Um, well, we'll see how that plays out at, what, UFC 259 with Izzy and the champ. So, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what Blakovich is, really. 
So new blood, the better. And then uh, main event, Rosenstruck versus Gagne. <sighs> Give me, I don't know, man. It's a tough fight, man. Cyril Gagne it looked is. excellent against JDS. And he did, but this is one of those. Rosenstruck looked so good for a while, too. And then when you lose, though, at heavyweight, you lose at heavyweight. Like, Francis is Francis. Before then, you couldn't say shit to Rosenstruck. Nah, he looked great against Dos Santos. Beat the shit out of Reem. Um, no, Reem was beating him. Nerfed Reem yeah. in the fifth. Split his mouth wide open. Yep, beat the shit out of Orlovsky. Like, give me Rosenstruck. Because I, I think Nganu is just otherworldly. Which is probably true, but I'm going to just go with Cyril Gagne. It's really who hits who first. That's really what that's, this boils that's down That's really to. what it is. Yeah. Someone's going night-night. Gagne's got a little bit more diverse uh, with his grappling and his ground game. Rosenstruck is clearly a kickboxer, but he's really good at that shit. It's just a matter of who hits who first. So it's hard to pick. I'm just going to pick Gagne because I feel like it, but I'm just going to enjoy the fight. Yeah. That is the definition of Big E's. Big man bumping me. <laughs> yeah, it is. That is it. Like, someone's going to sleep. That's not going to be a boring fight. Um, let's take a break then. When we come back, we got boxing to talk about still. And it was a big weekend in boxing. Some really fun fights. Well, one couple of really fun fights. And then Adrian Broner. So we got a lot to talk about there. You guys don't go anywhere. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll get right back to the show in a second, but first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to teams, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, time for the home stretch, and it's all about boxing. Trey, where should we start? Where should we start? Um, let's get the whack fight out of the way first. Adrian Broner. He's funny still. Like, I'm trying to say something nice. If you don't have nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all, right? He's funny. His post-fight promo was hilarious. But you knew some shit was off when the day before the fight, it went from a 140-pound fight to 147. Oh, my God. And I know late opponents, all that good stuff, I I don't know if it was to help Broner or the opponent, if it was to help the opponent who stepped in late, I get it. If it's because Broner just didn't feel like cutting weight, I don't get it. Man. I'm so sick of Adrian Broner. I don't, I don't know what to say about this guy. Four-division champ, Dre. Four-division champ. He's the weakest four-division <laughs> champ I've ever seen. I don't care what anybody says. This guy... Uh, let's just talk about the fight. Giovanni Santiago is a unknown, unproven, unheralded... I believe he's from Puerto Rico. And he gets this fight. 
and he proceeds to outwork Adrian Broner because, lo and behold, Adrian Broner doesn't like to throw punches. Y'all, some people try to chalk this up to like ring rust. No, this is just no. what Adrian Broner is. Marcos Maidana ruined Adrian Broner. He does not like to lead. He likes to follow. And if he can't pot shot you, because listen, man, the power n- never carried from thirty to uh, thirty-five up. It just doesn't carry. You can't knock people out like you used to. Yep. And in this fight, he just got completely outworked. And he landed one nice punch that kind of wobbled Sonny out. The glove was almost on the t- on the canvas. Look, man. Yeah. He's good for one of those. I think he hit Sean Porter with one. He, that, he's one of the most frustrating fighters ever because if he lets his hands go, he's actually a pretty good fighter. He doesn't like to be hit no. anymore. It's not about his worry that he can't put power behind stuff and knock other people down or knock them out. It's that to give a punch, you have to take a punch. And Maidana scared the shit out of him, and he no longer wants to be hit. And you're in a very bad sport when you don't want to be hit. No, And he, the dude, you know, he tried to, like just like Andre Berto and a few other fighters before him, all tried to do the shoulder roll. They all, they all trained at Floyd's gym, and they was like, you know what? I'm going to try the shoulder roll shit. And then it doesn't work. Then you realize, I ain't got nothing else, man. I'm just going to get punched in the face because that's all I got left. And <laughs> that's all I got. The problem with Broner has always been he doesn't throw in between his opponent's punches. He just won't throw in between. He will wait till you finish to throw a counter and hope you're out of position. And it doesn't happen. And in this fight, I don't have the punch stats in front of me. But... Uh, he was outlanded by a hundred punches. So it was two oh nine to one oh nine. I think it was more than that. I, Adrian Broner didn't land a hundred punches in the fight. Might have been a hundred power punches. I'm gonna look up the punch stats. Right Whatever now. it was, it was absurd. And there's no way on God's green earth that Adrian Broner won this fight one seventeen one ten. It's fucking impossible. This is bad judging, but this was a gift. Look, if you said 115, 113, Broner, I'd probably still say no, but I'd be like, you know what? Fine. Like, Broner had his spots, even though, you know, Santiago, like, he was landing, like, body shots. Broner did land some clean punches. 1710? That's absurd. So, Broner landed 98 total punches. Santiago landed 207. He doubled up Broner in punches thrown. So, 697 to 338. He landed 91 punches to the body to Broner's 11. Dude. Jabs, 83 to Broner's 49. Power punches almost tripled him. 124 to 49. Listen, CompuBox punch stats is really difficult because you can land like 100 punches in one round and none the rest around you, but you Correct. only score the rounds. But Broner was outlanded in every round except for the second when it was six to six. Every other round he was outlanded. Santiago outlanded him eighteen to four in the third, nineteen to five in the fourth, nineteen to seven in the fifth, twenty eight to thirteen in the sixth. How do you lose any of those? I, I don't know. One seventeen, one ten. Again, absolutely absurd. All this tells me is that PBC is like, you know what, we gotta serve him up to another well to wait to eat on. Cause oh yeah yeah is he or or he has to make the weight and he ain't I making again 40. he's not making forty he ain't beating no champion at forty no but let's he, just get that let's get that right too there, look the money fight for him because he still carries the name people still want to see him get knocked out is Terrence Crawford if Terrence Crawford ain't gonna fight Sean Porter 
which it is. You know, I, I believe that fight could very well be possible. But no, he'd be great for Sean. But he's a guy that you feed. Yes. To Ennis. Yeah, you boots Ennis. You boots Keith Thurman. Boots, any of those guys yeah. beat the shit out of Adrian um, Bone. Or I, or you pony up Mad Doe if you're Virgil Ortiz. I mean, because Virgil ain't got nobody else to fight. No, I mean he's he's fighting Mo Hooker next month, and then he's month. He's, yeah, he's yeah. Chilling. So and Mo was that was a great move by him to fight Mo. It's like all right, cool. But if you're Virgil and you want to be a star, like Oscar says you're a star, you put up the money, and you have Virgil versus Bron. So and Virgil will beat the hell out of him. So the point it'd be my down all over. So the point is, is that Adrian Bron is not a very good fighter. He wins a gift decision, and he's going to be fed to somebody. I, the worst part is. His post-fight interview, like, saying, fuck Steve Har- Farhood, that's so fucking... Like, come on, man. Cut it out. There's, there's... There, like, Adrian Brown is just a dickhead, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I filmed the documentary. <laughs> An entertaining one. He's the, still the best B-side in boxing. And what's crazy, though, you're like, oh, he can't cut to 140. If he decides and he, for any reason, gets to 140, and he just waits. Because when you have an undisputed champion, which is going to happen here shortly... Outside of Theofimo immediately challenging for one of, the, one of the belts and becoming undisputed, they will then be vacated. Catterall will get one. This one will go here. So all you have to do is take one fight at 140, get ranked by someone, and steal a belt. Broner can steal a belt. He ain't stealing no belt. You know the other person you can fight is Regis Progre. That's actually the fight I do oh, want to see. Oh, Progre being that. <laughs> Progre wants that fight. He does, and he, he should get oh. that fight. You know, he lost to Josh Taylor. He's trying to work his way back in. He fights somebody like Adrian Brony. He beats the piss out of him, and that's it. He looked great the last fight. I, I, look, I like Regis Progray. Regis Progray is a good dude. He didn't look bad against Josh Taylor. That was a close fight. Yes, and Josh Taylor, like, at, even at that time when Progray lost, because people like myself, I thought Progray was going to beat Josh Taylor. We didn't really yep. recognize how good Josh Taylor was. No, but that was dog. I mean, Josh Taylor had one eye. Yeah. By the end of like, fight. Josh Taylor dug deep. That was one hell of a yeah, fight. So, listen, man. Broner can get fed to any of them. But the days of him being, like, a contender, I hate that we're giving him attention. I don't want this dude to get paid. I, he's yeah. whack. Whack one. You just, you just got to see when is it to the point of that the eyeballs don't match how much you got to pay him. He's got to get knocked out. That's it. That's the only thing that's keeping him upright. Yeah. Somebody knocks him out, it's over. The money train is over. You knock him out, it's a wrap. Cause just beating the hell out of him isn't enough because he'll blame something. Yeah, like Manny Pacquiao. I thought I beat Manny Pacquiao. Motherfucker, we saw that fight. You ain't you ain't <laughs> beat nobody. This fight, we saw this one too. You're not good. Yeah. You're just not good. Nah, damn sure ain't good at that weight. And then um, we'll talk about the real fight that had everyone buzzing. Oscar Valdez versus Miguel Burchelt. I mean, I was on the apron for this shit. It was... Honestly, what I ex- I didn't expect the level of dominance. No. But going in, I picked Oscar Valdez, and we'll talk more about it after we break down the fight itself. But Eddie Reynoso is just different. Yeah, he is. And Oscar Valdez, when you have the raw tools, much like we saw with Ryan Garcia, Ryan had the raw tools. He just made stupid little mental decisions that you're like, yo, this kid's going to get caught or, you know, he'll slip. Eddie Reynoso eliminates a lot of those dumb decisions. So with Oscar Valdez, he always had the tools. He'd just get into firefights for no reason and shit would get dicey. 
he tamed that. And what I saw from Oscar Valdez against Miguel Burchelt, and Burchelt's an animal in his own right, Burchelt was lost trying to figure out how to stop Oscar Valdez's jab. And Valdez beat his ass with the jab from both sides, orthodox and southpaw, and switched through him effortlessly. Off the back foot against the ropes, he would turn Burchelt whenever he was in a moments of trouble. Burchelt opened up a little bit in like round six and eight after he got dropped once, or six and seven, but he had already been dropped once, and there was just no answer for Valdez. And when Valdez felt safe, he just winged it, and Burchelt had no answers. Yeah, I mean, listen, the first time I saw Oscar Valdez fight was a few years ago. And I was like, ah, he's got the potential to be really good. He can switch it. He's got a hell of a left hook. Um, he's got good footwork, but he finds himself in too many, you know, firefights. And he's going to get caught. And it's happened. But Chepo yeah. is, is, like you said, he's tamed this man. And I thought the betting line was disrespectful. That had Burchell as almost like a plus, a minus 300, minus 270, something yeah. like that. That was pretty wild. Yes, Valdez is moving up in weight. Yeah, that's cool. But to be that much of an underdog was kind of insane. But then the fight happens. And the first three rounds are... Um, it's funny because listening to commentary, Andre Ward and Tim Bradley are like, well, what is he doing, right? I don't like his nervous energy. He's spending a lot of energy. But he was just showing that he was just giving them looks. And he was moving. And after three rounds is when Burchelt said, I just got to go after him. Because this, this yep. jab shit is, is a headache. <laughs> just for the birds. And that's exactly what Oscar wanted. You, he came right to him. And the one thing yep. Burchelt can't do, which is something I totally forgot, he can't get out of the way of a left hook. At all. And it's weird because this is like the third time he's been clipped and kind of like dazed. But other fights, obviously, he gets um, over it and, and he's fine. But... It hits him in the top of the head and not the jaw. It hits him like damn near brushes the temple. Kind of hits him square between the eyes. And his legs go. Wow. It's the wildest shit I've seen. What a sequence that was in the fourth round. Oh, the fourth was... The fourth, granted the knockout, it will get to it's incredible. But the fourth might have been the best round for Oscar Valdez. Dude, he beat Burchell from Pil like. I don't know what kept Miguel Burchell up because he ate some leather. His jaw was crazy because he was eating like seven in a row. Yeah. And still walking forward. I was like, oh, this motherfucker is like Canelo or Triple G. It, it was just crazy to watch him take those shots. Now, if Richard Steele was a referee, he probably would stop the fight. But it didn't. And then they let it go. Uh, there was the, like the knockdown where Burchell fell into the ropes was probably the best thing that could have happened to him because he needed that because he wasn't going to take a knee. And Valdez no. was just going to continue to punish him. And then, yeah, yeah. from that point, you know, I thought for a second I was like, damn, Oscar may have punched himself out in the sixth and seventh rounds. Because he kind of took those rounds off. And Burchell seemed like at the end of the fifth he was getting his legs from under him. Seventh, he got caught. And I was like, oh, shit. It's about to happen. <laughs> that uppercut combo that dropped him in the ninth. That's the moment I said, stop the fight. There's no reason to continue this fight. Because Valdez, when he hits him, he hurts him. Yeah. There was no, like, I know Mexican pride and, you know, you die on your shield. But there was no way he was winning this fight. And he sent his ass and, out there and he fucking got murdered. And Burchell, I understand he's a big power puncher, right? Like, it's what he does. So you always say he has a puncher's chance. But 
being now as close as I get to be, thankfully, to the ring, which is as close as I could be without taking a punch to the fucking face. So being right there, you get a clear understanding of what's on punches, right? Because there's times where Burchelt would sit down on his punches. Oscar would sit down on their punches. Oscar's punches were harder as the fight went on. Those body punches he sat down on, the left hooks he, were he was throwing, were power punches. The rope shook in front of me. There was one where, like, the turbuckle, like, swayed and, like, touched my shoulder. I was like, God damn. Like, he, he'll stomp his left foot when he throws it. And in rounds, you were talking about, like, he was giving him looks in rounds one, two, and three. He would just stomp his foot and not throw the left hand. But you could feel it on the apron. You just go boom, and he stomp it, and he'd be like, he's stomping, and he'll just give like a little nudge, but boom, he stomped the foot. In the fifth and sixth round, every time he stomped his foot, that left was coming, and he was just putting everything behind it. Or excuse me, seventh, eighth rounds, and then in the ninth, he dropped him with that in the uppercut. So you felt it. Burchelt, his power after the fourth, after getting knocked into the ropes. When he was caught by that first punch, there was nothing on his punches. No, it was done. There was that, that done. And if I could feel that, I'm in the same position as the corner. We're we're at the same level, same spot, damn near. Just two different two different corners. They had to have felt that. There's nothing. You want your guy to still have a puncher's chance, but there's nothing left behind those punches. He's throwing pillows, uh. and the other man is throwing bombs. So you're really just hoping to get to 12 and save face. And then the 10th round comes. And this is why you can't just wait six minutes to try to save face. Look, man. Knockout of the year contender. Front runner. He, it's going to be hard to top that. He hit <laughs> Burchell so hard with that left hook. The, it seemed like the medics were on their way before Burchell hit the canvas. Bro, left. Moving backwards. Just the, the, damn near fell into my lap, and the, I got the video like right in front of me. I was like, "Wow!" I'm probably on the broadcast, just like losing my shit. I mean, he the way he collapsed was frightening, right? And it, it, when he hit him, and I was like, "God damn, he killed him!" And then the immediate thing I was like, "This is why the fight should have been stopped because this was inevitable. It felt like it was coming." Yeah, because Burchell clearly couldn't get out of the way of anything, and he boy. Woo. Shout out to Bomac, who's on the international feed that I watched like afterwards. Bomac, I wish they give him more time, or maybe do like some pieces, like breaking down fights, um, kind of like the UFC guys do. But Bomac, his eye for it is so good. I, I can see why Crawford and all that. Like I can see why they're good. I can see how Jamel Herring became a champion and defended titles, and he's kind of you know surpassed what he probably should have been. Bomac's just. The way he's able to nitpick and see these things are so good. And he was the round before, ninth, he was like, no, you stop this fight right now. He was like, it, it's not going the distance. You stop this fight because it's going to end horribly. And it did. He was like, yep. He was like, every time he comes in, he was like, if Oscar even goes to the body once, the fight is over because Burchelt is dropping that right hand. Man, what a performance. A star-making performance. This this is the benefit of having fights on ESPN as well. Yeah. 
Because when you do some shit there, like, there's videos of people at bars watching. Because ESPN is just always on. So it's on in bars everywhere. People who don't know you at all see that type of knockout. And you're made man. Like, at 130 now, there's so many options for him. It's crazy. And, <laughs> you know, really fucked up. Jojo Diaz fucked up. Yeah, he did. Just couldn't stay. Because I was way fat. Like, Oh, he really fucked up. Because what if Shakur is like, yo, I really want that fight. But I, I could probably just go real quick and whoop up on whoever is the other number one contender over there for that belt. Steal that one and then have a unification fight. Someone's going to steal that belt like Canelo stole uh, Benavidez's belt. It's, yeah. Work they, they way right into some mega fights. I mean, yeah, it's it's gonna happen, but you know, Oscar Valdez versus Kurt Stevenson, like, there's, there's, you know, I think that's coming over the summer. I mean, and then we gotta see with what happens with Frampton, like, yeah, the Frampton Harry fight. Frampton Valdez might be a good fight if Shakur wants to go and try to grab the other belt, and then you have three belts in the midst. Um, and then of course the the looming specter of the fourth belt, and Tank Davis. Dude, there's opportunity. Oscar Valdez has cracked that division wide open. That performance against Burchell, that's a star-making performance, and now it's like you, we want to see him fight. So, Yeah, and Burchell will be back. Of course he will. Not everyone's cracking his ass like no, that. No, not at all. Not at all. So it's, you know, styles make fights. Um, Mexican fighters are crazy. They love this shit. So he'll be back, and he'll be swinging away. And I can't wait to see how the division plays out because 135 is great. Right, and and that list is is amazing. One thirty is like right on its heels. Yeah, it, it definitely is. So many great fighters there, and then uh, upcoming fight. Now this next weekend, Canelo Alvarez kind of has the weekend to himself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's a showcase fight, man. It's we've talked about this already. It's somebody that he's supposed to beat, that he will beat, and prepare himself to fight Billy Joe Saunders in May. So I think the the line is like something wildly disrespectful, though. Yeah, it's it's a ridiculous betting line. I haven't even looked at it yet. I have to actually do something on this tonight, but it's it's a showcase <laughs> fight, man. Enjoy it. I'm gonna fight it right now. Cardello is minus five thousand. Yeah, yeah. How do you get to minus five thousand? Hey, man, Yildirim has no chance in hell of beating Canelo. Sir, Mayweather was like. Minus 500 yes. against Connor? As low as like minus 320 at one point. <laughs> against Connor. <laughs> the man had never boxed. Canelo's minus 5,000 against a mandatory challenger. Yeah. Dude. That's fucking crazy. That's just. That Mayweather bet is stealing money. Yes. <laughs> that was stealing money. But no, yeah, I mean, again, Canelo's saying all the right things. He prepared. Like Canelo always does. Um, shout out to him getting the private jet. Him and Reynoso was on the PJ, heading out to Miami, like on some on some boss shit. But we already know, like he booked that next fight. It's Billy Joe Saunders. We don't know where at yet. Um, hopefully in Vegas, and I get to be there. That would be dope. But um, yeah, it, it's going to be. I I just wonder what type of fight it's going to be for Canelo. <laughs> like, does he go out there and just wing it and knock it, like, highlight real knockout type shit? I mean, per- or does he just, you know, get the rounds in, 
I don't want to say play it safe because I don't want to disrespect Canelo. But you know if you get hurt, if you get a cut, fucking hurt, if you get a cut, a headbutt, coming in, trying to be too aggressive, it could really jeopardize a fight in me. Yeah. Do you play it safe? No, I mean, he does what he did to Rocky Fielding. He kind of plays with him for a minute, and then he just goes out there and beats the shit out of him. So I give it maybe four rounds, tops. You should get him out of there. <laughs> we take it under. Yeah. The under on all bets. He ain't got time to waste. He, you know, Canelo doesn't need rounds. He's just doing it for the fans. So, this will this end like for He's doing it to keep his belt. Yeah, this will be a short night. Good. I mean, shit, that's pretty easy. And then, you look at Billy Joe Saunders in May. Cool, that's a fight. I expect him to win that fight, right? And obviously, we get closer to May. We see how everything shakes out. To you... September would be the next Canelo fight because we know how he fights. Who would you ideally want to see him fight in September? Planter Benavidez. Hopefully Planter Benavidez fight this summer. Ooh. There's no reason for Planter to fight Benavidez to fuck up There's the not, but that's the fight I want to see. Plant, Plant needs to take out whoever may be a mandatory. But I know he just fought the mandatory. Is that back-to-back mandatory? So he might be free in general. Yeah, he might be. But that's the fight I'd like to see. Are they going to do it? I don't know. But that's why I'd like to see. Fuck no. No, you don't fuck up the bag. Benavidez will probably have to wait until next Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. And that's if Canelo is undisputed. Yeah. But, you know... The, the, you know, the, the Triple G ship has sailed. Um, you know, they talked about the... What was interesting is uh, they did an interview with, I believe it was Chepo, and they talked about they was in line for an uh, Better BF fight? Yeah. That's crazy to me. Yeah, yeah, but I think Canelo has uh, sailed on 175. Yeah, he's not going back. He's, he's staying at 68. He knows what he's doing. But, yeah, he said they were in line for that, which is interesting, but, you know, the Rona has really fucked up Better BF schedule. Yeah. So, yeah, he missed out on it, but that's one hell of a fight. But I think B- Better Beev has other fish to fry at 175. In the meantime, if you collect enough belts, by the time Canelo's over and done with, let's say next year around this time, if he takes like a January fight, then it's like, okay, that opens back up if you have three titles at 175. Right. It's more likely him go up than him go down, which I don't think ever happens. No, he's not. He'll never touch 60 again. He's just too big. Yeah, so I mean, better be have plays cards right, and and you handle business, get two, you know, get three belts up there or whatever, then you can try to coax Canelo into a fight. My thing is the only thing that could disrupt Canelo, and I don't think it happens before September. So I, I think the him and Plant fight happens, but after he unifies, and I think that make him undisputed, if everything goes right. After that happens, what if Charlo just says, fuck it, I'm vacating the belt? Because you vacate, you move up, you're automatically number one contender. I mean, makes sense. I mean, you got to chase the belt. If you're if you're Charlo, you got to chase the belt. You got to smoke them out, right? Like, you, you have these belts at 160. Fuck it. Vacate and force yourself into number one contender against Canelo. Yeah, I mean, you have to. So, that would be the move. I mean... Listen, there's people... I'd rather do that than let Benavidez jump There's in. so many delusional people out there that believe that Canelo ducked Charlo, which is absurd. Because that, that Damn, didn't he's happen. He's not scared of anyone. No, and that, <laughs> and that didn't even... That never happened. But 
you know, Canelo's the type of guy who wants to silence the critics. And Charlo wants that fight. That's a great fight. Maybe that happens in September. I doubt it, but I believe it happens. It, it needs to happen. It, Only if Charlo vacates. If Charlo vacates, it gives Canelo a number one, and he can't become undisputed if that guy's sitting there. I mean, he can. Sanctioned body could just be like, yo, wait. But, I mean, it throws a pickle into the situation. Yeah. So, But does Charlo give up the belts and say, fuck it? I don't know. I don't know. We, That's what Valdez just did, right? Yeah. Valdez gave up his belt, said fuck it, and pushed the issue and pushed himself into, or excuse me, Valdez pushed himself into the Burchell fight. I mean, That's what you got to do. If you're a champion, vacate, force the guy above you to fight you. Yeah. I mean, it makes it makes a, a lot of sense. And that's where the money's at. Fighting Canelo's where the bag is at. So, yeah. yeah some people scared to death of a loss. But I feel like the younger Charlo showed, like, he took the L and kept moving. Yeah. Or the little Charlo, older Charlo, by a couple seconds. But the, you know, lighter Charlo took the L, came back, knocked out Harrison, got his belts back. No harm, no foul. So it's one of those you got to dare to be great. And then Triple G still looms. Because if you're Triple G, why not? (laughs) Fuck it. Even if you got to go up to 168, why not? He's at the point now, so you ain't got nothing else to do. Shit. Nothing. Like, you give up your advantages, you're older. But just go up there, fuck it. You ain't got nothing else I to mean, do. I mean, look, man. I would not mind Charlo versus Triple G to set up the Canelo fight. Oh, I wouldn't mind that either. It, it's That's just so weird because... <sighs> I don't know. DeZone, not even DeZone, but Matchroom is running through all their people to feed to Canelo. To keep Canelo like getting in business with them in DeZone, right? Yeah. So, like, you're you're running through your roster, feeding them to Canelo, so Canelo continues to do business with you. Triple G will be your last ace in the hole. To feed him, not to feed him, but to possibly have him lose to Charlo and you have nothing left for Canelo is rough. Yeah. I mean, because here's the reality of the situation. Canelo is... For all intents and purposes, a free agent. Like he's got this deal with yeah. Matchroom, and he's going to have these fights on the zone, and then he can go do what he wants. There's still no guarantee that Canelo will ever fight Triple G. So I think if you want to take, like, you roll the dice, it's a pretty big fight. It's if Charlo wins, he's in position to fight Canelo because you beat the guy that Canelo had a hard time with. And if Triple G wins, you go to Canelo. One way or another, you have your next opponent for Canelo because Canelo. He's probably going to fight Plant, Benavidez. Those fights will happen after, as long as he beats Saunders. But you're going to have to clear the air somewhere. And obviously, Triple G ain't getting no fucking younger. He can't just sit around and wait. Because, look, you, his next fight could be his last. He could lose his next it fight. It could be. So, it could be. Yeah, just go ahead and put him in there with Charlo. If you guys can strike a deal to make it happen. At 160. And then the winner is right in position to move up and wait and fight Canelo. Yeah, Triple G is such a weird spot right now. It's you gotta you gotta cash it now, like you said, like strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. And, I mean, I, Demetrius, Andrade, like, I don't know, feed him to Demetrius. Like, if Boo can't beat him, then fuck it. But maybe create another star in Boo. I don't even know if you wait around after. No, listen, I, Demetrius Andre is a great fighter. But until he figures out how to start knocking people out, because he couldn't do it against Luke Keeler last year in Miami, 
Nobody's gonna give a fuck. He's yeah. got he's got to start beating people. Like he's got to beat them bad. He can't just be winning these close ass, not even close decisions, dominant yet boring decisions. You got to start knocking people out. One thing Triple G isn't as boring. No, so not at all. There's there's options there. We'll see how that all shakes out. We expect Canelo <laughs> minus five thousand favorite sure. to win this weekend. When we come back next week, plenty more to talk about. Mostly in UFC because we have to recap everything, but preview the UFC pay-per-view that's coming up, which is stacked three championship fights on that card. Uh, but we will have a Clarissa Shields boxing pay-per-view to preview and talk about her and her transition to MMA and what this means her doing both at the same time. So that'll be fun as well. We'll see what other craziness and madness we get to talk about in our opening segments. So we appreciate you guys. Hopefully you're all staying safe out there, staying healthy. Make sure you follow us on social media at Corner Podcast underscore on Twitter. On Instagram, it is at Corner Club for Life. You can follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andres Hell on all platforms. Check out our other show, Wrestling with Stereotypes, on adfreeshows.com. Had an amazing guest, Faye Jackson, that you will be able to listen to here in our next episode. That shit was wild. So make sure you guys check that out. Shout out to Network Blue Wire, all of our sponsors as always. We'll be back with our normal show on Thursday. And get back into our normal rhythm. So we appreciate you all. Until next time, though, we're out. Peace.